you know, you see that person that, that needs to be immersed, that, that needs to make that decision. Obviously, baptism is the, is the fulfillment of a long process that we love to see people go through. And you just know that foot, just, you know, if you could just move one of them, right, <laughs> to, get it, to get it headed in the right direction. And then get another, and, and I felt like if I could just come alongside and nudge them, you know, just bump them, get them out into the aisle or something like that, that might help. But you know what? We suffer from the very same problem when it comes to sharing the gospel. Boy, if I could just get past that first word, how do I get from here to where I want to be? Well, I submit to you, brethren, that you don't have it within yourself to do that. So how does that make you feel, Jeremy? Just give up. No, I do believe you don't have it within you. But I think we've got something we can share with you that might help. If anybody knows what this is, I'll just stop right now. Okay. Then we'll have to go through the whole lesson. Yeah. Well, let me put my disclaimer up front. The, uh, the eldership has not heard this lesson. And uh, by the time I'm done, they may wish I hadn't given this lesson and asked me to sit down. That's a possibility. But the, the fact is, these are my thoughts. The, the, and if you have a question, if there's something that I say that offends you or you're not sure about, I want you to come see me. Don't hit on Cal or poor Tom. They got plenty to, to do, but try to, to cover up my tracks. So please don't do that. Come see me for clarification. And do listen carefully to what I say. And if there's something confusing or something you, you weren't sure, don't fill in the blanks. Come see me. Let me help you understand what I meant to say if, if, if you think I said something wrong. And may I put just a little plug in here. July 28 through 31, we will, Lord willing, have a teen study for high school, college-age kids. But this is, this is a key part, in my mind, to congregational evangelism. Brethren, if we don't take care of our own, if we haven't evangelized and taught our own, we have fallen down. And so within your own congregation, you need to be looking, you need to be thinking. Because parents, now cushion yourself just a little bit. Not every parent is doing a good job teaching the fundamentals of our faith. It's not happening. Now, there's some great families out there, very functional families, but it's not 100%. And so even though that, in my estimation, is not necessarily the job of the church to circumvent or to assist the parent in their work, we certainly need to be aware of these young minds and making sure that they fully understand and that they've been taught the fundamentals of the faith. And, and questions that I've handled things along the lines of, well, you know, Smart Road practices mutual edification just because it's a preference. I've heard that. We practice a cappella singing because it's a preference. There's a mind that has not been introduced to the truth. And parents, that's on you first. And so we're going to have this study to try to help you out. Uh, and the other thing we need to be thinking about, high school, college age, before you send your kid off to college, would you sit them down and tell them what they're about to hear? What they're about to hear is a bunch of nonsense. My wife went through school after we got 
our youngest out and she'd come home at night just totally frustrated about what her psychology teacher was saying. Let's teach our own first. Let's make sure we're taking care of the business of congregational evangelism right at home. Because if you look throughout our congregations over the last 20 years, our dropout rate is unacceptable. Unacceptable. So when I heard that we weren't going to have a two-week meeting this year, heard, you could infer it, you could understand that it wasn't going to kick off. Well, the teens, those people are, those are the ones that we need to be servicing. Those are the ones we need to be teaching. And they're the cutest things around, too, by the way. <laughs> and to have them all come to Smart Road's a great idea. So we're going to do that, and Lord willing, we'll be able to help uh, with that. The other disclaimer is that I am going to call out some men, call out some of their teaching, but if they were here, they would applaud it. I hope what I'm, what I'm going to say, they would at least agree with it because they put it on their website, they put it in books, and so I don't, I don't think I'm doing them a disservice by reading their words. At Smart Road, we try not to spend any time bashing other churches, bashing other beliefs. That doesn't get us anywhere. But I think it's important for us to understand the lay of the land. And I'm going to give you the lay of the land as I've read it and as I've studied it and think, I think I've understood it to a certain extent. And I'm going to start with this fellow named Rick Warren. You've heard of him, California folks. He is uh, the pastor, the head pastor at the Saddleback Church out in California someplace, right? Nothing to Okay, all right, all right. <laughs> but it's true, and he boasts, they boast of about, on the website, I'm just reading it off the website, about 20,000 members plus or minus. And so he's got a formula of some kind. If you want to talk about congregational evangelism, most people's mind goes to what? Numbers. Give me numbers. I want numbers. I want to build big. Okay, well, here we go. First and foremost, right off the website, decide you really, really, really want to grow. Well, that's good counsel. Decide you really, really, really want to grow. That, that's point number one. Point number two, teach people if they don't buy in, they're cheating the other members. If people don't buy into your plan, they're cheating the other members that do buy into the plan. That's point number two. Point number three, your role as a pastor must change from shepherd to rancher. Your role as pastor must change from shepherd to rancher. Now, what's he mean by that? Well, a rancher is able to sit back and have all these cowpokes, right? hurting and corralling and what he needs to be is up above so he can see what's going on instead of down with the sheep as our Lord suggested and have this personal contact and so apparently not apparently it's a fact he is not readily available to the cattle because he's busy with being the rancher Multiply and specialize your staff is point number four. Now, this is, this is how to get your numbers up. Multiply and specialize your staff. Now, what he means by that is, are you ready? This is right off the website. Release people who hold titles but aren't advancing the mission and hand the job over to real leaders. Release the people that hold titles but aren't advancing the mission 
and hand the job over to real leaders. Look for people who have a track record of handling responsibilities in other areas of their life and give them the job of leading the church into the future with you. That's point number four. Point number five, begin handling, having multiple services no matter your size. Begin having multiple services no matter your size. Point number five. Point number six, plan big days. People are attracted to that kind of stuff. Plan big days. Are you taking notes, those of you that might not have 100 members? We're getting some good counsel here. I'm sure if he was here, he could embellish this probably a little bit. Number seven, cut the congregation into small groups. Have you seen this? Cut congregation into small groups. That way you can control the teaching better. And number eight, expand your facility. Build, build, build. Gives the people a feeling of growth. Do you want a feeling of growth? Build a bigger building. Expand your facilities. Piece of cake. And they have personal testimonies. A, lady, a, a, a person that, that came and went through one of these sessions, these strategy sessions, posted the feedback right on the website, and I'll read it for you. Absolutely thrilled with the outcome of our session. Our congregation is motivated and excited to work on the strategic plan. So grateful we, we did this. Best regards, Reverend Melody Batari. There you go. Appeal to the masses. It's true. It's true that people feel put upon when we bring the gospel to them, when we try to share. Because that's not what people want out of the gospel. They don't want any, any they don't want to have to give anything to the gospel. They want to get. And so this is what I call conundrum number one. Supersize assembly. Supersize me. Bigger is better. You know, in reality, I don't know if I wrote this down or not, I read it. About 98, 98%, I believe, was the number. 98% of the religious congregations, religious assemblies in the United States are under 100. Set through a class with Charles Fry several years ago, and he, he said he had done some research on that. And the large congregations are at the price of the small congregations. What really happens is several small congregations are sacrificed so a large congregation can occur. And what this does is, I can speak from experience as a leader, people tend to like to hide. They like to hide. They don't want anything, they don't have to be responsible for anything. I think I heard a, a little story up here about a man that when he went to a smaller congregation, he became responsible, and that responsibility deepened his faith. 
Conundrum number one, supersized assemblies. In my business, I retired a few years ago and, and uh, I opened up, I started my own business of just helping senior citizens stay in their homes. That's my business. Most of my, I don't like to call them customers, my friends, my girlfriends mostly, <laughs> in, their, in their 70s. Um, they live alone, the husband's gone, and he's the one that took care of the house, and the house is scary, but that's where they raise their kids, and so they don't want to leave it, and so what do I do? I, I play Russian roulette with the yellow pages. And so what I do is I develop a relationship with them, and I go in and help them with their home maintenance, and if it's something I can't do, then I invite somebody in that I know takes care of things properly. And one of my favorite people is Sandy Jeffries. She makes me cry a little bit. Cared for her husband in the front room of her house for two years while he died. Didn't want him to go into a nursing home. And so it was my job as her friend to help her keep the house up because he couldn't do anything anymore. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful lady. Wonderful lady. She belongs to a congregation in Raytown that if you drove through Raytown, you can't miss it. I'm not going to tell you who it is. That's not my purpose here. But I was over there one day, and when I go to Sandy's, the most important part of my service call is the visit. We've got to sit down and have chocolate chip cookies and a glass of milk, right? In, in your commercial business, did you ever have customers write you thank you cards when they put the check in mail? <laughs> it's pretty cool. I enjoy it. But she came home all excited about this book. Randy, she knows. I mean, we've talked about her faith a lot. And I admire her faith. I, I think there's some wonderful things in this lady. And brethren, we've got to get past this one. There is good in people, even if, they're, even if they're in a false religion. There's good. But the, 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 even in the eight points that I gave you here, in that, in that group, there's probably some good things that happened there. Don't dismiss the whole thing. It may be a launching point for you, right? Apollos was taught the rest when he was incomplete. Just, just a side note. Anyway, Sandy came home with this, and she was all excited. And she says, this is... This is what our pastor is taking us through now. It's discipleship, how to grow the church, how to grow yourself. I said, well, okay, well, that, that looks interesting. Well, I got one for you. Well, thank you very much. And I took it home and I read part of it, part of it. And there's some good stuff in here. This church has a complete gym. They have a complete cafe. They have a staff of 52 people, pastors and sub-pastors, and oh, wow, it goes on and on. They have a gymnasium. They have an outdoor uh, sports facility, right? Uh, they have special services that you can watch on your tablet so you don't have to really go into the building. And what's more convenient than a box in the back corner is you can, you can uh, contribute online with your credit card. Piece of cake, right? 
They offer both traditional and contemporary services. And the pastor has simplified things even more by giving you this. Now, it's unsaid, but you really don't need this if you got that. And since he's the one that wrote it and he's sure it's right, this is complicated. This has got pictures. Okay, all right, well, let's turn to page 13. When I make it to page 13, I see something called the sinner's prayer. Okay? The sinner's prayer. And all you need to do is read this prayer and maybe send us $10, and you're good. Okay? When I turn to page 17, I read this. Now, what he's done is... He's got a lot of little type over here and some big type over here. What are you going to read? The big type. I'm a lazy reader, okay? We are not saved because we keep his commandments. That's the big type. We are not saved because we keep his commandments. We keep his commandments because we're saved. Pass that over your mind a couple times. Think about that. Now, if you don't know anything about the scriptures at all, I can't chew on that. I, I just can't get there. But can you see the uneducated mind swallowing that? We are not saved because we keep his commandments. And how many passages now are running through your mind? Jeremy, exactly right. We would be surprised how ignorant people are about the, the, about the, the word of God. We would be. It's amazing. You, when I said that, you had passages that run right through your mind. If you love me, what? Yeah. Uh huh. Okay. Well, let's see. Let's turn to page 32. Page 32 says, Baptism is not necessary for salvation. Now, this is really big letters here. Baptism is not necessary for salvation, but it is for obedience. Take that here and split it. Hmm. And when you look over here in the little text on this whole page, on this whole page, there's not a passage. There is no scripture on this page at all. But it says right here. Let's run over to page 127. Page 127, big type. It doesn't matter what style of music you prefer. Okay. Yeah. That's true. If your worship is not joyful, engaging, and exciting, it's not truly worship. His commentary on Hebrews, the 10th chapter, the 14th verse says, and let me read Hebrews 10, 14 for you, because that's not one that just readily pops into your mind. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. For by one offering, though, we, by, let me read it right. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those that are being sanctified. 
What point do you think he pulled out of that? And the way he describes that, Cal, is he says, now just think about this. If you were in a burning building and Superman broke through the wall and picked you up, now this is the story, picked you up and took you out of the burning building, would he drop you before he placed you in a safe place? If Superman took you out of a burning building and flew you, and while he was flying you, dropped you, would he do that? Or would he take you to a safe place and set you down? Once you're saved, Jesus snatches you from what? The burning building. It's forever. And again, to the uneducated mind, that sure sounds good. That sounds really good. Brethren, is there a threat here of any kind? Is there anything to be concerned about? This is a very large congregation. Similarly, in our area anyway, I don't know, California's always ahead of us, so it's probably been out there for 20 years. We have these little community churches that are popping up. We had a young lady come visit us at Smart Road one time. Well, it's been a year or two ago, something like that. And uh, we were talking Bible study. Well, there's a church, a new church in Pleasant Hill called the Echo Church. And she wanted to go try that because her boyfriend attended there. She didn't know what they taught, but it sounded cool. Conundrum number, number two. A fun and friendly faith. That's what I want. I want a fun and friendly faith. Don't be talking to me about hell. And don't give me some book written in 16th uh, century King James English stuff. Just give me something simple. I'm good. I walked into the home of somebody that you, probably most of you know, and, and the woman of the house says, you know, I read an article in uh, the Gospel Message, and I just can't place the name. I, I, I'm sure I know him. The guy's name is Zach Crane. Do you know him? <laughs> I said, yes, he's one of my two favorite son-in-laws. <laughs> That's a pretty good answer, wasn't it, Bill? <laughs> Let me read you for conundrum number three, Zach's words, because he does a whole lot better job. And if you haven't read Zach's words in the Gospel Message this month, um, it's, it's good thinking. The title of it is Jesus is Lord. His opening paragraph. It's no secret we live in a time where the name, person, and authority of Jesus Christ is often defamed, dishonored, disrespected. In the world, he is the punchline of jokes. His name is frequently muttered in vain. The thought of his divinity is scoffed at and mocked. He com he's commonly portrayed in mainstream media as weak, unassuming, 
unintelligent, all in the name of comedy and entertainment. If his existence is genuinely acknowledged, it is often confined to the life of a good man or a prophet who lived and died some 2,000 years ago but is not the Son of God. Sadly, this is the only picture or perception many people have of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is he right? Yeah, he's right. He's right. When I was a little boy, another little boy story, I never did get to go with my grandfather. Some of you may have known Churchill Techmeyer. That was my dad's father. Good man. Good man. It's my understanding that when my dad was growing up and he'd learned to read songs, Churchill would take him to Colorado. Never heard about California. But to Colorado, and they would do something called a tent meeting. Tent meetings? Churchill would preach and dad would lead the songs. That's how dad learned to sing so loud, because he could dominate the whole tent quite easily. Well, when my mom and dad got married, they had a, fr uh, a couple, you know how you do when you're, you got couples you spend time with when you're newly married, and, and she had Sam and I, and we were going along with them doing the couples thing. Uh, this couple, uh, Griffin was their names, Griffin. We all attended 59th and Kenwood. And this was before TVs became so dominant in the front room. Can you believe it, kids? There was a time when the TV was not on all the time, <laughs> that it wasn't the center of entertainment. So we didn't have that. So what my mom and dad did was often when a tent meeting came to town, it didn't matter what religion it was, you would go just wanted to hear. A lot of times it was a good speaker, maybe somebody, somebody that was kind of entertaining, keep your attention. And this is how people would kind of exchange ideas. This would be a bit of a, you know, a learning process about the other religions. Did it happen? Yeah, yeah, this, this was common. So my mom and dad would take us boys to these tent meetings. Well, we went to one that I'll never forget. Uh-huh. This was in the early 60s, and this lady started vibrating. And we never did that at 59th and Kenwood, I can tell you that. And she dropped on the floor, and it was a dirt floor, and she was rolling around. Oh, it was quite a show. Well, then she wasn't alone. There was other people that, that kind of came along. I don't know if these people were hired, you know, and they had this routine worked out. But it was, it was really quite a show of all this vibrating. And then after that, you'd get the speaking in tongues, and they'd be saying things whacked out, crazy. You couldn't understand a word they were saying at the top of their voice, right? And here I am, like a five- or six-year-old kid. And... <laughs> that lady's crazy. <laughs> And the preacher would come down, and he'd, he'd hit her on the forehead, and she'd fall to the And some guy would come up with his crutches, and he's doing this thing. And the preacher would come up and hit us, and he'd throw the crutches away. Praise the Lord, I've been healed. Right? Don't believe it? Go on YouTube and Google holy laugh. Holy laugh. Kids, write that down. Holy laugh. 
because it starts with a holy laugh. They would literally begin to laugh. <laughs> and they'd just follow you. <laughs> and, and, and they would literally slide out of their seats, one right, and it would just work its way back. All in the name of what, brethren? Who? All in the name of who? Who was present, supposedly, at those events that was causing all this, all this mess? Oh, it's the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit. Now, stay with me on this. Now, listen to what I'm about to say real careful. In the 1950s and the 1960s in this country, that was commonplace. Very commonplace. Brother, I submit to you during my lifetime, I have heard God defamed as Zach laid it out. I have heard Jesus' name taken in vain. I have heard them belittled. I've seen the Simpsons, and I don't watch the Simpsons, but I've seen the snips of the craziness that's associated with God. And usually when we say God, we mean the Father and the Son. But that does not inhibit the church from continuing to talk about what God is doing in my life. Or continue to talk about what Jesus is doing in my life. We openly, between each other, say those things. Since Cal gave me this topic, I've been asking people this question. The Holy Spirit brought us this, and I believe to this day the Holy Spirit has protected this to be exactly the Word of God. <laughs> Amen? And so my question would be, given this is a wonderful work of the Holy Spirit, how does the Holy Spirit work in your life? How does the Holy Spirit work in your life? Now some of us, yeah, through the Word. And some of us are going to trip on that. Because all that craziness that went on, we move away from it. We, we, we swing the pendulum, right? We want to move away from something that appears to be sinful. Now, we're comfortable with talking about God. We're talking about, comfortable talking about Jesus. But what about the Holy Spirit? Conundrum number three. You've heard of Lord God. that and put this there. A lowered God, a lessened God. It's a G. I, I changed it to a small one because my God is not lowered. My God has a capital G, right? Well, if I read Zach's article all the way through, I find out that he's still Lord. 
But people worship this because it's more comfortable. It's a lot more fun. And it doesn't require anything of you. Now we could go on and on with this. But what's my point? What has this got to do? I've got seven minutes. What has it got to do with my topic? Jeremy, what does this have to do with my topic? Where does this come from? This one, this one, this one. Where do these come from? Amen. Wrong. Where does this come from? The very pit of hell. Call false teaching what it is. False teaching begins and originates with Satan. When you see two men, two young men with, boat, with uh, ties on walking up to somebody's house and they have these little booklets, who are they? Yeah, or Mormons. When you go to talk to somebody, when you go to talk to somebody, let me assure you, Satan has been there first. He's been there. He's taught them this. He's taught them that. And he's taught them that. And so when I say, well, I don't have it within myself to handle this, that's exactly right. But I dismiss the very power that can. Revelations 12 and 12. Therefore rejoice, O, o heavens, and you who dwell in them, woe to you. Now, this is us. The heavens are rejoicing, but here, here we are. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. Verse 13. Now, when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the child. Who is that? Who's the woman? The church. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle, eagle and she, that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for time, times, and time and a half, and I have no idea exactly when that is. From the presence of the serpent. And so what did the serpent do? What did the serpent do, somebody? So the serpent spewed water from its mouth like a flood after the woman that might cause her to be carried away in the flood. Brethren, we are in a flood of false teaching. This is Satan's approach. So if you want to talk to somebody about Jesus Christ, you better recognize that you're facing the devil. You're facing false teaching on a magnificently huge level and on a dumbed-down level to a God that's been lowered to something far below anything you can imagine. That's where the conversation starts. That's where the conversation starts. I've got some skills. I've got some talent. But brethren, if I just say I'm going to come up with some little routine thing that I'm going to follow and it's going to work every time, I think you're kidding yourself. Ephesians, the sixth chapter, the tenth verse. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of what? His might. Put on the whole armor of God. And go through your mind. What's in that armor? That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And do not wrestle, for we do not wrestle with flesh and blood. That's it. 
I'm wrestling with myself. Am I going to say something? Am I not going to say something? How am I going to approach this? That's flesh and blood, brother. Isn't it? Isn't that me trying to come up with something? But we battle against principalities and powers and against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts and wickedness in heavenly places. That's where the battle is. Do not believe that sharing the gospel is as simple as mentioning Jesus Christ to somebody. Because Satan has been there long before you. He's been at this a long, long time. And he knows not only how to prepare the person you're trying to talk to for what you're about to say, but what he's also going to do is place doubt or make you think you don't have the skills to do it in the first place. And we buy it. If you wonder why it's hard to take the first step, look at your feet. Satan's got his hand on your foot saying, hi, you can't do that. No, 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 doubt, doubt, doubt. You don't have it in you. Just go home, don't say anything, and don't jeopardize the relationship. Right, Jeremy? Zechariah, the fourth chapter, the sixth verse, then they answered and, and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. This is the word of the Lord to you and me, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by what? My spirit. By my spirit. By my, say that, by my spirit. saith the Lord of hosts. That's how it gets done. That's how it gets done. According to the New Testament, the, the Spirit convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment in John. The Spirit guides us unto all truth in John. The Spirit glorifies and testifies of Jesus Christ in John uh, several places. The Spirit reveals Christ to us and in us. The Spirit leads us. The Spirit empowers us. You want to do it alone? The Spirit fills us. The Spirit teaches us to pray. The Spirit produces us in, in us fruit and evidence of his work. What is the first characteristic of the fruit of the Spirit? What is it? How can you have love for your neighbor and not mention the gospel to him? The very first fruit of the Spirit means you love somebody enough, right? The Spirit distributes spiritual gifts and manifests His presence to and throughout the body. You don't think throughout the congregation that you're a part of there aren't spiritual gifts. People that are capable of doing things. And, he, and Paul goes all the trouble and describes this body and the muscles and the tendons and how they all work together. Is that you by yourself? No. 1 Corinthians 12 and 3. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. Okay? That's the first part. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord is except by the Holy Spirit. 
It is by the Holy Spirit. Take the Holy Spirit out of Acts, and what do you have? He's been doing this a long, long, long time. I've got several more here, and we're out of time. But let me describe it to you this way. After, thank you for the topic. After giving me this topic, I've kind of drawn in my head, imagine, if you will, the Holy Spirit has before him a chess board that has millions of players. And he knows where they all are. And he knows all their capabilities. What does he need? Vessels that are willing to do the work, right? When Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2 that you, are, you can be vessels of honor, does that mean the vessel has a lid on it? The gospel was for me. The gospel was for me. The gospel, God, God shared the gospel with me so that I could be saved, and that's the end of the story. Put the lid on it. Hold on to me till I get, till I get across the Jordan, and I'm good. Is that what the gospel's for? To save you? Is that the end of it? Could it be that the Holy Spirit has work for us to do? Now, I'm not talking about when you're on your way to a Bible study and you haven't thought enough to fill up your gas tank and you're about to run out of gas and you got another, what was it, 200 miles or something? Somebody had this yesterday. You got 200 miles to go and the Holy Spirit's going to carry you there without gas. I'm not buying that. He can. But he expects us to be prepared, right? Workers that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Ephesians 2.12. We were created under what? 2.10. Good works, right? And he gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Here we go, elders. For the perfecting of the saints. For the work of the ministry. If you want to know... In my estimation, what I understand when I, look at the, when I look at the scriptures and I say, what role does the congregation play in evangelism? The key role is preparing the saints, equipping the workers, recognizing where the power comes from. Let me suggest something. In your prayer life, do you ask that the Lord, through the Holy Spirit, lays some soul upon your heart? You heard that song? Being prepared, studied, prepared, equipped. And if that's your prayer every night, that the Holy Spirit might use you, might use those things that you know Jeremy, we know. We know enough. We know a whole lot more than most people. The Holy Spirit may be just the edge that you need to get past this thing that I'm afraid to say it. I'm afraid to start it. The Holy Spirit may just be the power. Brethren, frankly, I think we've stepped a little bit away from. It's okay. We can openly talk about the Holy Spirit. We can give him credit for the things that goes on.
Jesus did. Paul did. Peter did. It's all right. If you want to improve your evangelistic life, if you want to be effective in the work of the Lord, let the Lord work through you. And let that be your prayer. Prepare, equip, and let the Holy Spirit use you as a vessel of honor. In closing, yeah, we're done. I have a person I love to travel with, cute little redhead over here. We went up to Raspberry Island one time, part of the Apostle Island chain in northern Wisconsin on Lake Superior. They were using something that was designed by a guy named Augustine Jean Fresnel. Fresnel? Fresnel? Jeremy? You know him? Yeah. What they found out in the early 1800s was if they took a kerosene lantern and held it up to try to get the sailors to move away from the rocks, that that kerosene lantern would cast a light about two miles. all by itself. But what Gene figured out was that if I use some of the Lord's design and I develop these little prisms, they all sit right in here like that. This light, when it goes this way, and this way, and this way, and this way, all the way around. This is a circular thing that they can put on a turret and turn. And this same kerosene light that went two miles, because of the compound refraction of the bending of the light, all of these then go this away and this away. And the big one in the middle goes this away and this away. Changes the very same light effectiveness from two miles to 20 miles. From two miles to 20 miles, which is a little focusing. Is this you right here? In your congregation, is this you? Has the light of the scriptures, has Jesus Christ brightened your life so that when you stand with your brothers and sisters, you help reflect that light out to speak against the wiles of the devil? We have some that don't. We have some that this is cloudy. Nothing's happening here. Nothing's happening here. Nothing's happening here. So the light isn't quite as bright. Not quite as effective. But still, the light is reflected. And that's our job. We don't create the light. We're not the source of the light. All we do is reflect it. 
Remember in Revelation, the second chapter there, in, uh, the first chapter, Jesus is passing amongst the lampstands. They're not creating the light. This congregation, the congregation at Smart Road, the congregation at Murray, Jesus Christ passes by constantly. What would he say? Is the light being emitted individually? Are you? I think the only way you can do this is to open your mouth. Are you reflecting the light of Christ that we might battle the false teaching that Satan has flooded the world with? Or have you found a comfortable little corner that's fun and friendly that doesn't require anything of you. You can show up at 9.30 or 10 or whatever the scriptural time is, clock out at noon, and you're good for a week. Or we can have an event, and you can clock in, and you can fill some bags with something, and then you can clock out and go home, and you spread the gospel, right? I don't read my book that way. I spent some time with Jeff Yost, and I, uh, I, love, I love his effort. I love his energy. And he does use these star Bibles, if you're not familiar with them. Uh, come by and look at this. This is kind of interesting. It's just a King James Version. Um, but what it is is a tool. Uh, star Bible, anybody know about these or don't know about these? No? This is a cool little tool. What it, what it is is, uh, you know, you can give people a lots of information, but the best thing to give them is a Bible, okay? So if I take this Bible and I hand it to somebody who's never handled a Bible before, what are they going to do? Boom. Where do I start? They're going to die in Deuteronomy if they're going to try to read this thing. <laughs> right? On the very front of this, there's a question. And it tells you to turn to page 362. Laura and I invited some of our friends to a Bible to a VBS here. Boy, I'm really over time. I got to quit. Uh, and the mother called us the first night of the VBS after the kids came home and said, "I need some help. What help do you need?" Well, we can't find our our Bible does not have 316 pages in John, so we can't find John 316 for the kids to me memorize. True, true story. True story. They, they, she wanted to help them, but no John 316. This Bible is, has pages, and of course, what you do is, to answer this question, you're to page 362, you go to 362, 362 takes you to a scripture, and then from that, it gives you another page at the, at the bottom of that one, and you go there, and you've worked your way through the gospel. And you can do it over and over and over and over again without knowing where John 3.16 is. Sometimes when you sit down with somebody, your biggest hurdle is, you say, go to Ephesians, and they say, what? What page is it on? Well, in my Bible, no. You both work out of the same tool. And you give it to them. Let them take it home. And they can go over and over again. It's very, very effective. And what, uh, what Jeff had done was, He's made his own little inserts, depending on what they want to study. And it's got the page number, it's got the topic, and it's got the series of scriptures. You just work your way right down through it. Very, very simple. 
people do need something simple to start with. But exactly right, Jeremy, we don't need to drag them to services first because it'll scare people. They won't have the foggiest idea what we're doing here. Where's your organ? Right? That was boring. No praise band. We had one couple that came and joined our congregation because they were tired of the praise dancers. <laughs> yeah, praise dancers. This is real. This is real. Supersized assemblies, fun and friendly, and a lowered God. That's the landscape. When you're sharing the gospel, that's what you're up against. Recognize that you're up against a foe that is far your superior. And he's been there before you. He's been at it a long, long time. And you need help. Go to your knees. Pray. Ask the God to allow the Holy Spirit to work through you to remove, first and foremost, the block that's in your own mind. And secondly, to give you the words. I don't know how many times I've sat down after, after a sermon like this I don't have the ability to do this, brethren. I don't know what to tell you. I don't. But somehow, somehow, God is able to use us in spite of our inabilities. In spite of our inabilities. And it's a long list for me, brethren. It really is. The Lord bless you. I thank you for staying late. I'm sorry. It's just, it's my favorite topic. I don't know what to tell you. If you are outside of Christ, let me put it to you plainly, you're doomed to hell. It, no, that's, it's not a friendly thing. How long is eternity? How long is eternity? You know, it came to me the other day that it's possible that eternity is people who are in hell will review their lives over and over and over again, and God will show them every time that they denied him. Can you imagine that for eternity, denying God and knowing then? Will eternity be for you? Thinking about all the people you didn't say something to, sorry you never met him, never mentioned him to me, right? Let's get past that. Let's open our mouths and let's start it and allow the Holy Spirit to give us a little energy to get through it.